as we heard earlier in our service, the opportunity to look from an Old Testament perspective about what God was doing in redeeming his children. I thought it would be more than appropriate for us uh, this morning because of the uniqueness of our service to have a word about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do you go and how do you start talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Well, it seems to me that we could take one particular text and we could expound that text and we could show it in all of its wonderful facets and we could communicate gospel truth. And of course, we've done that. We've been studying through the gospel of John and we have found ourselves of late in John chapter 14. We could have gone there this morning. Or we might go, for instance, to an Old Testament passage and we could talk about how uh, the good news is progressively revealed until it comes to its consummating point in the person of Jesus Christ through his works, through his teaching ministry, through his good news and declaration that he's the Messiah come from God to Israel to redeem his people. We could take one of these Old Testament texts and we could likewise, as I mentioned about the New Testament, expound its truths and talk about this gospel in seed form. And I think that would be more than appropriate. But I thought this morning what we would do in the limited time that we have, maybe only about 20 minutes or so, we could do something um, with a helicopter above the skyline looking at the gospel in broad strokes, all right? And this is certainly not something that is originating with me. You could take um, these grand narrative truths about the gospel uh, and you could uh, place them in a format in which everybody would understand major points about which you are speaking. And uh, while it's not original with me, there have been those who have suggested four main points to the idea of God's grand sweep of redemptive history. For instance, some have talked about creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And that's a great place for us to start. Why don't we do that? Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is I think the greatest place to start, the place at the beginning, in fact, and talk about creation. Creation. In Genesis chapter 1, of course, we find this wonderful story of how God created the world, this majestic, holy God who is the creator of all. If you look at, for instance, Genesis chapter 1, and you survey the scene from verses 3 Uh, all the way through to verse 24, for instance, you see that God created the world in six days. You notice each of these paragraphs, as it it were, start with, and God said, verse 3. And God said, verse 6. And God said, verse 9. And God said, verse 11. And God said, verse 14. And on it goes. And God said, verse 20. Verse 24, and God said, even down into verse 26, then God said. You have recorded there 
the sweeping narrative of the beginning of our world, creation. The plant life, the animal kingdom, and even a word to us as human beings created by God. Notice in verse 22, it says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. That's a word to uh, the non-human kingdom, uh, multiplying and being fruitful by God's command. And then verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And then notice a parallel here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I, God says, have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then you have in Genesis chapter 2 what we might call a recapitulation, a a retelling from a bit of a different angle, this creation story. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. And then, of course, it goes through the next portion of this chapter, talking again about the creation of man and woman. But here, with a bit of a difference, notice the added revelation that speaks to us about the creation of man and woman. Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In miniature form and in the time we have, this is a statement, a declaration from 
the first two chapters of our Bibles that says that God is the Creator God, the Supreme Being, and a God of love to be able to create not only the plant kingdom and the animal world, but also ourselves as men and women. And we derive our very existence by the life of God breathed into our first parents. And God blessed that creative act and he breathed into the nostrils by the very Spirit of God the breath that you and I ourselves contain. And that's mercy and that's love and that's grace. And that's the creative power and the creative activity of our God. This is the first part of what we'd say is the grand narrative that sweeps through our Bibles and tells us about the history of the world, creation. But of course, there's another aspect to man's life and his actions in this world, a world that God has made, a perfect world, a world in which God gave man every provision for success, every opportunity for advancement, the very dominion that he commands men and women to have on this earth, to subdue it, to be the regent and vice-regent of this world that God has created, to, to command them to be those who would rule even over the plant and animal kingdom. All of these things that God has given us, all that he's commanded, it was perfect, it was good. The Bible says so. And yet we have in the second of those four points of the grand narrative, something called what? The fall. The fall of man. Folks, this is not a fable. And your experience and mine as fallen creatures in God's created world is testament to the idea that this is not fable. Notice what it says in this book of Genesis, this creation narrative of our world. I stopped off at Genesis 2.10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the Garden of Eden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. But Delium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gehan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
And the man said, this, is at, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Notice now the consequences for the original sin in the garden. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The creation was clear. The creation of a beautiful garden was also very clear. 
And it was clear that God was blessing them abundantly. And it was clear that God gave them specific directions. Cultivate, subdue, have dominion, name the animals. Even gave man who was, in a sense, incomplete by himself, a helper suitable for him, woman, right out of his own side, one of his ribs. That's why in the Hebrew text of the Bible here, when it calls man by his Hebrew name, he is Ish, and the woman is Isha, for she was taken from the man. It was beautiful, glorious. They had everything they needed. They had no wants, no desires, other than their need and desire to obey God. And then, of course, chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that there was an alien being in the universe called the serpent, the crafty one, the devil. You say, where did he come from? Oh, there's a bit of mystery there. We know that he was in heaven at one time, and we know, according to the book of Revelation, he was cast down because of his sin, his choosing to rebel against the Lord God. And now he's on a mission to accuse, to defame even God himself, and to question the goodness of God. And that's how he began very craftily to question the goodness of God to the persons of Adam and Eve. Even flatly rejected what God had said directly to the man and to the woman, and he claimed that God was lying to them, deceiving them. And of course, the Bible teaches us, as we have just read, that Adam and Eve chose as a result of the craftiness of the beast, the serpent, Satan himself, and they ate that forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they denied God's goodness, and they defamed God's character. No wonder, Adam said at one point when God was pursuing him, I was naked and I was afraid because he had a conscience and that conscience pricked him that he knew he had disobeyed the very one who created him. And that's the fall of mankind. But did you notice here in the text of chapter 3 the consequences to everyone, to the serpent? You are going to be judged even above the curse of the livestock and the beasts of the field. He's going to be cursed and he will be dealt with, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And in chapter 3, verse 15, God says, I, the Lord God, will put enmity, strife, combativeness between you and the woman. Now, we have to do what we can because of later revelation to identify who the woman is here, and the woman is emblematic of the nation of Israel. And so, the Bible tells us that there's going to be a history of enmity, strife, between the serpent and Israel, between Satan and his offspring, his helpers, those who are doing his bidding, his angelic beasts. We, of course, see them and Satan as the arch enemies of our souls, and between that kind of offspring, and the offspring of the woman, Israel's people, 
who will be later formed by God himself. And then notice this. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's, of course, speaking ultimately of the cross in which Satan thought he was going to be able to to destroy the work of God even though at the very cross and even though Jesus will die there it is a crushing blow not to Jesus and not to the people Israel and not to the work of God and not to the plan of God and not to the purposes of God but actually a crushing blow to Satan himself. His head shall be crushed even if Jesus at the cross, his heel is bruised. That's what that means. That's why this is called, Genesis 3.15, the proto-euangelion, the preview of the gospel, that which will come later and progressively through our Bibles. Do you want to see how Paul speaks of these matters? Look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We go all the way through to Romans chapter 5 in order to see the realities of what's going on theologically with this gospel that's set up for us right here in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. This is most interesting in Romans 5, 12. Listen to this carefully. Beginning in verse 12 of Romans 5. Listen to how Paul gives theological comment to what was happening as we read from the book of Genesis. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. And who is that man? Adam. He was the head of the race. He was the primogenitor. He was the one who was called by God to lead creation. And he was the one who, when he sinned, He brought sin into the entire world. And it says here, Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. Do you remember in Genesis when he says, Does God, if you eat of this particular tree, you will what? You will surely die. And when he did eat of that tree, it brought forth death through sin. And then notice this theologically packed sentence or phrase. And so death spread to whom? All men because all what? Now this is where some people are going to have some problems. Because they're going to say, and so many of them do, wait a second. You mean to tell me that what a man did, the very first man, has consequences for me? No way. No way. You tell me that somehow I'm tied in with Adam? And the answer is that the Bible says that we were in the very loins of Adam. He was our first father. He was the father of the race, as it were. They were the first parents, Adam and Eve, of this world. And everyone derives their generation from Adam and Eve. And when he sinned, the Bible says here, he plunged the whole human race into sin. But notice verse 15 of Romans 5. 
Paul says, even though that's the bad news, the bad news of curse, the bad news of sin, death spreading to all men because all sinned, here's the opposite. But the free gift, now that's a lot different than death and sin and the spreading of such to all. This is, this is positive language, free gift. The free gift is not like the trespass, Adam's sin, for if many died, that's a way of saying all died, all sin, we all deserve death, we will all actually die, even physically so. For if many die through one man's trespass, Adam's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So here's what you have. Creation the fall of man, and the redemption of Jesus Christ. And here's what is said. We have a free gift. Even though we are dying every day, even though sin is in us, sin is a part of us, you don't even have to argue the point. Every baby that comes out of every womb is a sinner and is destined to die. The book of Hebrews says, it is appointed for man to die once and then what? The judgment. I know this, this is not a popular word. This is, this is not a popular idea. We want to think that every baby that comes out of every womb is this precious little sinless thing until you have to start raising such a one. And the selfishness and the impudence And the insolent pride begins to grow and flourish in every single life, yours and mine. And it's because sin brings forth an attitude of pride and arrogance that is a part of us all. No wonder Jesus had to come to redeem us from our sin. Verse 16, And the free gift... The free gift of Christ is not like the result of that one man's sin. Notice how he's going back and forth, back and forth, talking about Adam and Christ. It's as though he's talking about two heads of the race. Here's one head of the race, Adam. And what he's done is he's plunged us into a world of sin. We are sinners because we have been involved in the very loins of the one who led us there, and we also sin ourselves. So it's because of original sin, and it's because we are sinners constituted that way ourselves, and then we also sin every day. And yet the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass, that's original sin of Adam, brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, God declaring us righteous in Christ. If, because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam's, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that was Christ and his cross, leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, that's us, so by the one man's obedience, that's Christ, the many believers will be made righteous. You see how he's going back and forth and he's talking about these two heads of the race. Here's Adam. It's a world of sin. It's a world of degradation. It's a world of loss. It's a world without hope. And here's Christ. He's the head of a new race And it's a race of all those who believe. It's a race of all of those who repent and turn from their sins. Those who recognize their sinfulness. Those who say, I'm not only just a sinner in Adam that makes me sin. I sin of my own accord through my own deeds and my own actions. And because of that, I'm in need of the one man, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I need to have somehow his life come to my place in my stead for me. And that's where the cross comes in. That's why Jesus died. He died so that you and I could not die the death that we deserved. But the death that he died, he died for us so that anyone who would ever believe would be able to say, It is because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary so that I might be delivered from the original sin of Adam that plagues me to the fact that I sin myself in my own attitudes, words, and actions. Creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. Do you realize, turning your Bibles to Colossians, do you realize that there's going to come a time in which there will be a a righting of all wrongs? There's going to be a time to come in which not only are you and I as individual sinners fallen in Adam who do our own deeds of unrighteousness, who will be individually redeemed, but that there will come a time in which all of us as individual sinners will be gathered up together and we as one will be completely reconciled, not just to Christ, not just to God the Father, not just to the Holy Spirit, but to the entire creation because God has a plan in which he's going to ensure that the entire universe is submitting to what God commands. Even by those who do so begrudgingly, sinners, unbelievers, Even those in hell forever will have to begrudgingly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there will be a a total reconciliation of the universe itself by those who do so willingly and by those who do so begrudgingly. Why? Because God will make it so. This This is amazing. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, are all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. This takes us right back to creation, doesn't it? 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. And Christ is before all things, and in Christ all things hold together. You could say that that word, world, uh, word hold together is actually the word coherence. In him all things have their coherence. And he, Christ, is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Christ might be preeminent. For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Christ to reconcile to himself how many things? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is, this is the reconciliation where God as creator says, I will, in fact, have all praise, all honor, all glory. That's why sometimes when you hear this grand sweep of the gospel narrative explained, you'll hear God, man, Christ, glory. You, you hear about God as creator. You hear about man as fallen sinner. You hear about Christ as redeemer. But we also must acknowledge that Christ as Lord will actually reconcile all things to himself, even by those who continue for eternity to begrudgingly acknowledge in hell that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why for you and for me, we need to say in our own hearts, even today, will I be one of those who willingly submits to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Even now, serve Him and love Him and glorify Him all of my days until the day when all things shall be reconciled to Christ. Versus those who say, I'm the Lord of my life. I take control of my destiny. I'm the one who determines what I will or will not do. And no one shall rule over me. Well, if in fact that's the case with you, there will come a day when God declares that Jesus Christ is Lord over the entire universe in reality. And when that day comes, there will be a host of those who have rejected Christ, who have said no to his lordship, and for whom they will have to acknowledge, even in and through their sin, that Jesus Christ indeed is Lord of all. Do not, even this day, because tomorrow's not been promised, do not begrudgingly affirm Christ as Lord. Do it with a whole heart. Do it with a willing spirit. And say to Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. You say, how do I do that? It's very simple. Just get on the knees of your heart and say, I'm a sinner. 
I have rejected your dominion command of the creation narrative. I wanted to go my own way. I I am living out the reality of Adam's sin through my own sin. And I like it that way. Until now. Now I repent. I clearly see that if I, in fact, go to my grave serving my own lordship and not the lordship of Christ, I will be judged in all eternity and will even yet then have to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. Rather now, I want to bow in my mind and acknowledge that Christ is Lord of all and that I want to serve him and I want to love him because he's my creator and he's my redeemer and he's the one who will take me to glory. If that's the case with you, why don't you bow your heads right now and ask the Lord to redeem you, to save you, to deliver you from the power and the commanding authority of sin. It has its encroaching and very definite power to enslave. And yet Christ went to that cross where he died. And after he was removed from that cross, he was buried for three days in a tomb only to be resurrected on the third day to prove that he is both Lord and Christ. And there will be one day every knee bowing to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you've been the Lord of your life, if you've been the one who've been calling the shots about what you do or don't do, how you live and how you don't live, you need Christ. You need this death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the good news of this gospel word to be effective for you. You need Christ to die in your place, to be in your stead, so that when God the Father brings everyone before him at the judgment, you can say, Christ is my only advocate before you, Father. He is my satisfaction the one who died in my place. If that's the case in your heart, even now, ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Turn from that sinful life, that desire to control and be your own Lord. And ask Him to allow you to place your confidence and your trust 
alone in Christ and what He did for you and for me. And if that's the true nature of your heart, you can be gloriously assured that Jesus Christ will come with the Father, with the Spirit, to make their home with you and in you. And you can be bound for heaven and not consigned to hell. Oh, Father, we pray that you would indeed bring spiritual life out of the dead ones and that you will give gospel mercy to those who need it, even this morning's hour. For we pray through Jesus Christ to the glory of God our Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the smaller hymnals, the hymns of ancient and modern, you'll find number 58. 58. I will glory in my Redeemer. And some of you may be thinking... What does that mean? Glory in my Redeemer. Well, fortunately, we have some lyrics to describe that. Please join in singing, closing. I will glory in my Redeemer.
Son, our glorious Redeemer. I think, um, Jim? Before we close in prayer, I just have a couple announcements um, about upcoming things this week and then some exciting uh, changes in the children's ministry here at, at TOBC. Um, remember tonight, there's no evening service here um, at TOBC, but we'll be meeting at Pleasant Valley Bible Church in Camarillo. Um, it's, it's our fifth Sunday where we meet with five other churches um, that are part of, of FIRE. Um, and so uh, Errol Hale will be preaching tonight. So it's 6 p.m. at Pleasant Valley Bible Church in Camarillo. I believe the address is on the back of your weekly. So, um, And then this Friday is our f- first Friday family forum at the Peyton Home. Uh, their address is on the, there as well. And that's just an opportunity to, to interact with Lance and Beth and to, to ask questions and to, uh, to get to know the other families. And so uh, please join us for that. It'll be a, a fun time and a, and a good time to interact with one another. And then lastly, we have, as we, as we the reality that school kicks off in August, um, we've decided to change things up a little bit at our children's ministry. So we are actually going to be moving to a different curriculum. Um, and uh, we're going to be using Answers, um, put out by Answers in Genesis. We're going to be teaching through the New Testament, um, starting with um, the Gospels. And so uh, from preschool through upper elementary, are all going to be doing the same, the same um, study. So different, obviously different levels, but, but the same study. Um, so our, our sprouts, um, our sprouts and our acorns, our sprouts are our lower elementary, um, second grade through through third grade, and then our fourth grade through sixth grade will be our upper elementary, our acorns. will meet together for an opening time of singing and offering, so they don't need to come in here with you anymore. You, If you'd still like them to, they could, but they'll have their own time of music and offering, and then they'll break into their, uh, their classes for the teaching time and the rest of the morning. So, um, and then our um, our, our preschool will be on the same curriculum, which is exciting for us. They'll be studying the New Testament as well. Um, our buds are going to be split into buds and sprouting buds. As our church has grown and, and the number of children have grown, we realize we need to separate them out a little. So um, our, our buds will be walking to two and a half, and they will have an abbreviated lesson in songs. But then our sprouting buds, those two and a half to four, are going to be doing the, the New Testament study. So that'll be starting up next week. Um, and then uh, Evening Church will continue to do ages uh, newborn to three years old. Um, and uh, they'll be continuing on the curriculum. Um, one of the curriculums, we're not 100% sure yet. So um, parents of the older ele- preschool and elementary um, should really view Evening Church as an opportunity for training. Um, that's our goal. So we, But we do have things to help accommodate. So um, the the cry room will be there. We can bring toys in there if that's helpful, um, and we can also we do have the resource of the children's bulletin for them to to kind of be trained into to being able to sit for the time. So um, so we're excited about these changes, and we're excited to uh, to launch a new thing. So the curriculum is going to look a little different. The take home sheets are going to look a little different, um, but I think it's going to be a help to you, and it's it's going to be a blessing to families. So let's go ahead and pray, and thank the Lord for our morning. Heavenly Father, what a gracious God you are. How undeserving are, uh, are we of, 
of your grace. God, we have fallen so far short of, of your standard, of, of what you've called us to as creator. And yet, God, in your grace, you provided a way that we could restore that relationship with you. Thank you for the truth of that. Thank you for the encouraging and exciting words of your scripture that point us to the reality that Jesus Christ paid the debt that we could never pay. I pray for each one here that that, that you would enlighten hearts and, and uh, cause us to remember those things as we leave, that we would be changed by them, and that we would live differently in light of the abundant grace you've poured out on us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.